Okay, so the Messianic Covenant or the New Covenant. Uh, the point of departure for tonight, where I want to start tonight, is just to help all of us understand that the Bible is divided into what is called the New Covenant, and it's divided into um, what is called the Old Covenant. So because of that, there, there seems to be some, some confusion oftentimes within the church around uh, the covenants that have c- concluded or come to an, uh, an end. Um, and then the covenant that's sort of now this new covenant. And so sometimes what happens is we discard all the uh, what is deemed the old covenant. So anything that we see in the Old Testament, we sort of feel, okay, that's done. Uh, there's this new covenant. So the new covenant is called the new covenant or it's called the messianic covenant. Um, and the old covenant, the only covenant that's regarded as the old covenant is the mosaic covenant. That's very important to remember because what happens is once we start thinking of all the covenants just as old, we then automatically discard all of them. So if I, for example, think about the Noah covenant, the the covenant God made with Noah, and he also made with us. So every time the rainbow is visible, we then recognize and realize that the Noah covenant is actually still in place. That's important to know and important to remember because that covenant didn't just end as an old covenant. If you look at all the five covenants we've we've now dealt with and the one we'll be dealing with tonight, what you must realize is that those covenants are mentioned in the Old Testament and those covenants are also mentioned in the New Testament. So you'll see all those covenants carried through mentioned in both Testaments. So that's I'm just trying to, to... clarify around the fact that there's the Old Testament, the New Testament, but the covenants, um, so those that naming of the Testaments or dividing the Bible in that way really brings a little bit of confusion. Um, and what we, it's sort of easier when you start to understand the covenants. And that was the reason why I felt it was important to start the series on covenants, because once you understand what was the old, what is the new, which ones are still carrying on, which ones have conditions attached to it, which ones are uh, uh, forever. Um, for example, when we think about the Noahic covenant, the, uh, the Bible tells us in the Noahic covenant that that covenant, uh, God will never destroy the earth with water again. But we read, as you read in the book of Revelations, you see that God will destroy the earth with fire. So understanding those little details, it's, it's, it's imperative, it's important. Um, so when God destroys this current earth with fire, he's not going to keep us in a place called heaven. There will be an, the, the new, God's also going to destroy the current heavens, but there will be the new heaven and the new earth. There will be the new Jerusalem. So we will be, uh, uh, we will not be a sort of, uh, 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 you know, spirit beings. We will be beings in bodies. We're going to have a new body like Jesus has a body. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, you can come and touch so he has a glorified new body. That, that new body could go through walls. That new body, Jesus could do things that you cannot do with your current earthly body. So there will be a new earth, new heavens, and we will be in these new glorified bodies. In the new bodies, we will not sin nor desire sin. We will not be tempted. We will not cry. And um, there's also other things that uh, the new earth would bring. There will be no longer be any sun required because God will be the light on the earth. There'll no longer be any sea. So for those who surf, I don't know, maybe there'll be a river. <laughs> um, and then there'll also no longer be any sex. So there's no sun, no sea, no sex. So, you know, so, so in the new way of doing things, when the new earth comes, there'll be also a new way. You'll be different. You will no longer desire sin nor be... I don't know if we will not be able to sin because even the angels sinned in the past. So I don't know how far that goes, but I know that we will have a new body with no desire to sin. There will not be the flesh. That's very important. And, you know, that's sort of the reason why we long for that day. What is important also to understand around our salvation, our salvation is not uh, uh, for heaven. And don't think about salvation as about, you know, uh, uh, salvation so I don't go to hell. That's the bonus. The salvation that we have in Christ when Jesus died on the cross to give us salvation. What's important to understand with that is that salvation is to remove us from sin. To take our sins, plural, away from us. So that's so important to understand because what people do is they make salvation about heaven. So they make it about this, this goal at some point. Whereas even today your salvation what God has saved you for is even today. So there's that which you have been saved from, that which you are being saved from, that which you will be saved to. 
That's when you get your glorified body. Okay, so I'm sort of trying to paint the picture of why the new covenant is important and also to give you an understanding around that these covenants, um, that it doesn't discard all the covenants. So the old covenant is the Mosaic covenant. That covenant carried us up until a certain point. The Bible says that that covenant we should treat as a tutor that brought us to the point of where the new covenant now comes. And now this is sort of when we become sons. Amen. That covenant could only take us to a certain point or could only take the Jews to a certain point or could only take those people to a certain point until we get to the point where there's a Messiah that comes to open up the door for everyone. Amen. Amen. So, the, the, you know, this is, this is the exciting part. So what God does is, the Bible says in Amos 3 verse 7, it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His plans to His servants, the prophets. So the, His plans or His secrets... God wants us to know what he wants to do. You know, when you, when you read the book of Revelation, God's already showed us the end right now. We know the end from, okay, this is not the beginning, but we know the end from this moment in time. We know how the end looks. We know that, that there's going to be the falling of the stars. There'll be no, no natural light. The sun's going to fall from the sky. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The moon will fall from the sky. And that'll be the sign that the return of, 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 of Jesus would be coming. So, for example, God forewarns us. He gives us information so that we are not in the dark um, like I am sitting right now. <laughs> so, so what God does is he reveals his secrets. He reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. So what has God revealed about the new covenant? How do we know that there was a new covenant? How do we know that this covenant that Jesus put in place is in actual fact a covenant? That is an important question. So we see that God revealed it to his prophets. So the Messianic covenant, the new covenant is revealed in the old and fulfilled in the new, in the New Testament, revealed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. So Jeremiah announces what the new covenant will be. Isaiah announces who would bring it and establish it. And Ezekiel announces how this covenant will work. So God revealed to us or to the people at the time to say this new covenant is on its way and this is what it's going to look like. This is what it will entail. This is who would bring it. This is how it would work. So we have to look at what Jeremiah had to say in order to understand what the new covenant would entail. We have to look at what the prophet Isaiah gave us in order to understand who would bring it. And we have to look at what the prophet Ezekiel showed us in order to, to, to know how the new covenant would work. So we have to start unpacking that in order to understand the new covenant. Let's have a look at Jeremiah. For your notes, Jeremiah 31 from verse 31 to 37. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 37. It's really speaking about what this new covenant would be. So from verse 31, I'm just going to read through it for the sake of time. Bear with me. You'll probably have to listen to the recording again or maybe through your notes, whatever's going to work best for you. But uh, just in order for you to really grasp what I'm saying tonight. So Jeremiah 31 reads, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. There we see that God is preparing the people, preparing that generation to continue uh, uh, sending the message that there's a new covenant coming. There's a new covenant coming. God's already saying there's a new covenant coming because the old covenant wasn't working. It wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling the plan of God. So there had to be a new covenant. He says he's making this covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So what we must ask then, the question is, are we then excluded if God says he's making a new covenant with them again? That's a good question. So why do we say that that's not the case? Because otherwise, then we're basically doing what we're doing for nothing. If God just made that covenant with Israel and with the house of Judah. So. We need to understand that Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel. Remember Jesus' ministry when the woman came to him that was not a, a, a part of Israel. And she said, uh, uh, can you heal my daughter? Um, and Jesus said to her, listen, I cannot give the bread uh, that belongs to the children to the dogs. So what was happening is Jesus was saying, I didn't come for you. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. So his intention was for them. Uh, but he came with the intention that he would win the world. So he's, he came for the lost sheep of Israel with the heart that they would win the world for him. So he wanted to start with one nation again. That was God's plan. God was a, had a plan that he wanted a nation that he set apart for him that would make everyone else jealous and desire to have God as their God. So what he did was he, he came for Israel, 
And he wanted them to turn to him, recognize him as Messiah, but not to stop with them. Actually to take that message from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem speaks about what is closest to you, your home. Judea speaks about those that look like you, but you are unfamiliar with. Uh, 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 Samaria speaks about those that uh, are you hate. Those are the ones that you don't like. And in the uttermost parts of the earth is people that you have yet to meet, but you still need to take the message to them. So it always comes from home outward. So God was telling them, he wanted to, God was telling them what he wants to do is he has a plan and he has a purpose and an intention that he's coming for the lost sheep of Israel, but that message would then have to go abroad. So what we then see in verse 32 is, it says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So what we must understand is the Noahic covenant is still in play. The Abrahamic covenant is still in play. The Mosaic covenant was really an attachment to the Abrahamic covenant because it was for the people that was chosen under the Abrahamic covenant. That, 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 that covenant then got, uh, of the Mosaic covenant then got released to the Abrahamic people. Remember the Mosaic covenant comes to the descendants of Abraham. So that's important to understand. So God is saying, the covenant that I made with their fathers, the Mosaic covenant, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Who led them out of the land of Egypt? It was a man called Moses. God made a covenant with him that we dealt with now. And then God says in, in, in verse 32, my covenant which they broke. So in, in covenant, there's two parties. There's the strong party and the weaker party. God made conditions with the Mosaic Covenant that if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, there's a curse attached to that. And now God is saying that these people, they broke the covenant that he made with them. And then he says, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but they broke it. So remember the prophet Hosea, God said to Hosea, listen, this is what it looks like for me. I'm married to Israel, but every time they go and sleep around, they go and sleep with somebody else. And God was saying they broke the covenant. And then he says, but this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Now listen to this. This is the, the new covenant. The covenant that I will now make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No more will every man teach his neighbor saying and everyone teach his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Verse 35 says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. So God is saying, I'm serious about this nation. I'm serious about these people. I'm going to bring a new covenant that's going to be a different covenant, a better covenant with better promises. The old will be, will be gone and the new will come. So we have to begin with Jeremiah when we look at what is the new covenant. Let me give you three keys found in Jeremiah. The first, this will really unpack the detail of the covenant that we are part of. The first uh, of the three keys is inclination. The second is intimacy. The third is innocence. The first thing to note is that God is going to give us a new inclination. What do we mean by that? This new covenant would now not be written on tablets of stone. Moses coming out of Mount Sinai, he comes down with a tablet of stones. Here's the Ten Commandments. As he comes down, the people are already worshiping and bowing to an, a golden calf. So the first thing we see is the Ten Commandments is on the outside of the people. So the people had a heart to still go their own way. The people had a heart to still decide, hey, I want to do this. And even be, as Moses was still coming down the mountain, you know that 70 of the elders saw God's footstool, yet they were still bowing to a golden calf. That to me is heartbreaking. So what I want you to see is, 
under the new covenant, there's a new inclination. What does that mean? It means that the, the commandments of God are no longer written on tablets of stone, but are written now in people's minds and in their hearts. That's what I mean when I say there's a new inclination. It would now be written on the inside of people, not on stones, on the outside of people. The Bible says, now I'm going to write my instructions on your heart. Amen. I will give you a new heart, no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. So what does this mean, this, that God's going to write his laws on our heart? It means that we are, God is not now just going to tell you how to live, but what he's going to do now is going to give you an inclination. What I mean with that is going to give you a desire to live the way he's asking you to live. You see, every time God's, you know, every time you, you show a child what not to do. When I told my children, listen, you see these plugs on the wall, please do not put your fingers in there. The next day, I would come and I would see that the little boy is trying to put his finger in the plug. Oh, why? Something on the inside of him says, Daddy said I must not do this, but why does Daddy not want me to do this? And all of a sudden, he wants to test. Who's ever told the child, don't put your hand on the stove? And what is the thing? You want to feel, what does this feel like that everyone's saying I cannot do? And the next minute, you see the child put his hand on the stove and now he needs, he needs medical attention. <laughs> Somebody call 911. So what happens is, on the inside of us, we had an inclination. This is why the Bible says that the heart of man is wicked. Our inclination was always to go against God. We never wanted to go with God. Adam, in the perfect environment, people would say, yeah, but if you just gave me the perfect setting, if you put me in the perfect environment, then maybe it wouldn't be this way. Adam was in that perfect environment, but yet he still went away from God. So what we see is that God's saying under the new covenant, the first thing I'm going to change, I'm going to give you an inclination towards my will, an inclination towards my instruction, an inclination towards my commandment. That is so important to understand. So how do we know that, you know, the heart of men are evil? Let's look at what Jesus calls, calls men. He said this, he said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So what did Jesus say? He said we were evil, yeah. right? So Jesus made it clear that our, in, our hearts were evil. But now in the new covenant, God is not, just is not just giving you new commandments. He's also writing it on your heart and giving you a desire to fulfill what he wants you to fulfill. So the inclination has changed. So that's so important to understand. So the Ten Commandments were great. The laws uh, that God gave Moses, all 613, were great. But it did not change the heart of the people. That's why every time we see there's a new king, that king was evil before the sight of the Lord. That king did what was evil. The people followed suit. God always has a remnant. But what happens is we see that the inclination in the heart of men was always to turn away. Let's deal with the second one. The second thing to note about the new covenant is that God is not just going to change your heart. He's also going to call you to intimacy. Jeremiah says to us that in the new covenant, people would all know the Lord personally. It says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. What was God's heart? Even with the, with the old covenant, God's intention was to have relationship with the children of Israel personally. They went to Moses and said, we fear God. Yeah. God wanted to put the fear of God in them. There's a healthy fear of God. I spoke about this before. A healthy fear says, I'm not going to run into, into uh, you know, onto the N1 because the N1, I'm going to get killed if I run into oncoming traffic. So there's many cars. Some, some, one of those cars will hit me. That's a, that's a healthy fear. Please do not do that. So what God is saying is, I want to give them intimacy that they know me personally. So yes, he wanted the, a healthy fear of God in us, but not a fear that drives us away. A fear that says, I recognize that you are master and I'm servant. I recognize you are greater and I'm the lesser, but I want to know you personally. So when God did this for the children of Israel, he called them to him because he wanted relationship with all of them. He wanted them all to hear his voice. Yes, Moses had a special role to play, but God didn't want Moses to be the mediator in relationship between him and the children of Israel. He wanted to know with them to know him personally and him to know them personally. They said, Please, Moses, can you tell God that we want to speak to you or you come and speak to us? Mm -hmm. Then you go to God. And that's why Moses would have to go alone onto the mountain. He would go onto the mountain, talk to God and bring the message from the mountain to the people. God was speaking to them to, 
as one. When God gave him the, the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, he wanted to speak to all the people. The people were afraid and they were the ones that didn't want personal relationship with yeah. him. The old covenant then ended in a way that you needed a Moses, an Ezekiel, an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, a Amos. You needed somebody to tell you what God was saying. You needed somebody to tell you what, you know, what, what's the word of the Lord. Now under the new covenant, God's desire for intimacy has been restored. So God is now making this new covenant with individuals. God is making this new covenant with a covenant in a, in, a, in a way that it will be intimate. No one will have to tell you, you need to know the Lord. You now have direct access to the Lord. The Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. In other words, you've got access to the throne. You don't have to run to somebody else. I'm not saying that, you know, there's no room for counsel. There's room for counsel. There's room for the New Testament prophet. There's room for the New Testament apostle. There's room for the New Testament teacher in your life. But God wants a personal relationship with you. Amen. So I needed to see that. I needed to, to, to understand that. The third point that we learn about the new covenant, what the new covenant is from the prophet Jeremiah, is that there's innocence that God is restoring now, you must understand that if there's a love relationship, guilt destroys a love relationship. If you did something wrong, especially if it's hidden, if you did something wrong, what guilt will do is it will drive a wedge yeah. in the middle of a love relationship. You cannot say that, yes, if you did something and your spouse is not aware of it in a love relationship, you're, you're, you know, you married, you, you, you did something and your spouse is not aware of it. it will, that guilt will begin to cause a, a, a just distance to come in. And what happens is where there's guilt, there is no innocence. It's like your innocence is taken away. I remember I, had a, 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 I was reporting into the CEO. I was working for an IT company. And, uh, you know, we had a great chat, myself and, and Eric. And Eric's son was a little bit older than, than um, my young boys. And uh, at that time, Eric told me, you know what, Chris, what I do not want, I don't want my son's innocence to be taken away. And he would guard the iPad. He would guard all these things. He would put, you know, different uh, restrictions on those devices because he said, you know, the moment a child's innocence is taken away, what happens is you cannot get it back. But what God does in the new covenant is he restores your innocence. Jeremiah is talking about this because he's saying, you know, God is restoring that. The Bible says here in Jeremiah, God will forgive your sins and remember them no more. This is so important to recognize that God brings back your innocence. Now, what you must understand is that God has the ability to forget your sin. Now, just because every time you remember it, you know that many times when you go to the Lord in prayer and you say, Lord, remember that thing I repented about last week? Forgive me. Because sometimes what happens is you remember and when you remember the emotions of it all, get, it just bubbles up and bubbles over. And what that does is you tend to sometimes think that God still, you know, he hasn't forgiven me. This is still before the Lord. And what then happens is that then drives a wedge between you and God. But what I want you to recognize and realize under the new covenant, God brings back your innocence because God can control his memory. You cannot control your memory. You cannot wipe things in your memory. You, sometimes, you're, sometimes physically these things happen, I understand. Sometimes, you know, when you've been through great trauma, especially in your youth, sometimes there's things that you actually can't remember because your body does that to protect itself. I understand that. But that's not under your control. What God can do is he can say, I no longer remember that. Yeah. When you come and repent before the Lord, he says, your innocence is restored. I don't remember. The Bible even puts it like this. It says, God will take your sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. So God's saying, I, for I forgot. So when you bring up that old thing that you've repented about, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. You will remember, but God can forget. And God chooses to forget when you repent. Okay, so God can control his memory. The Bible says, I will remember no more. So the new covenant will give you a heart that wants to keep God's laws. The new covenant will give you a knowledge of God so that you know straight away when, you, when you've upset him. I want to give you a testimony. I got born again in high school um, and I got really born again. Uh, I, I didn't have time to, to, to play games with God. I lost family. I lost friends. So uh, this relationship with God in high school was serious between me and God. And what happened was, I remember uh, uh, it was either at the end of the year, I gave my heart to the Lord. Or it was at the beginning of the new year. I, my memory fails me. But what happened was, 
I started hanging out with these, with these guys at school. As I was hanging out with them, what began to happen was they were swearing, right? So as we're playing soccer together, as we're hanging out together in assembly or whatever, they were swearing. So what happened was I got born again. I got changed. God brought back my innocence. All of this started to happen. But what, what then happened was as we were in the circle, I remember still standing in the circle with these buddies of mine. We were just done playing soccer and we were sort of in some sort of assembly and we were going to the next class. As I was in the circle with these guys, I just swore for the first time after I gave my, you know, after I, I got born again. And when I swore, this conviction now came up in me. What did I realize? I realized what made God upset. I recognized that this is not what the Lord wanted for me. And from that day, I was probably, I was probably 15, 16 years old. I never swore again. Why? Because something on the inside of me happened. Something on the inside of me changed. Something on the inside of me knew that this is upsetting my love relationship. This is upsetting my intimacy with the Lord. And then because I recognized that, I stopped doing that. And I never wanted to go back to it. The desire to swear left me. The mistake that I made, you know, I know God forgave me for it. But I'll never forget how it made me feel. Because now the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of me. He convicts me of sin. And now my innocence is restored. Now my intimacy with the Lord is restored. And because of that, I know what upsets him, what angers him. And that's the new covenant. That's what makes the new covenant special. It's not that there's a list of, of, of 613 laws and commands only. It's that God writes it on my heart. And now he gives me the ability to do that. If you had to tell me before Christ, before I had the Holy Spirit to stop swearing, I could not do it. You know, I had a problem where I bit my nails. I would just bite my nails. I, I couldn't stop. It's, it's like a generational thing. My mother did it. I did it. Some of my siblings still do it. And it's just, it's just an issue. It's not something that I, I feel like it's a sin to bite your nails. Because if you bite your nails, I'm not hurting anyone else. But it became a habit that I could not stop. That's where it became a problem. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way my, my you know, I would just, just not stop. I just had to bite my nails. When I gave my heart to the Lord, guess what happened? The desire to bite my nails left me. Now, I know that may seem like something simple and small, but to me, it was huge. So what I'm seeing is that God in the new covenant, he restores intimacy with you. He restores your innocence and he just does something new where the inclination of your heart is away from sin and towards him. And I need you to see that. And this is what Jeremiah is painting for us, that God will restore all of that. The new covenant will give you a knowledge of God so you know when you've upset God. And the new covenant now gives you a clean conscience. You see, the worst thing you can have is a conscience that is, that just, you know, you just know, listen, what I'm doing is wrong. What I'm doing is not right. When your conscience is clean, you can now live from that place. And that is way better than the laws of Moses or from that covenant, the Mosaic covenant. What we have is so much better. Let me read for you from Hebrews 8. 6 to 7, and also verse 13. This is what it says about that covenant. It says, but in fact, the ministry that Jesus has received, Jesus' ministry, is superior to theirs, talking about the previous covenant, as the covenant of which he is mediator, the new covenant, he's a mediator. Moses was the mediator for the old. Jesus is the mediator for the new. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, uh, uh, that Hebrews 8 verse 6, that he's a mediator for a superior covenant. It says that he's superior to the old covenant since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now, if it was just for intimacy, just for innocence and just for inclination, that is already better. For there had been nothing wrong with that first. If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And then verse 13 says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And that's why that's the old and the former, and that one is obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. That was in Hebrews. Hebrews was written, obviously, to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people, to tell them that God has brought a Messiah, finally, that they've been waiting for. And he's brought the new covenant that was promised by the prophet Jeremiah. Another note that we see with, with through the prophet Jeremiah about what the new covenant represents. I brought it up a little bit earlier. Note that this covenant is not made with a, a nation or with a group of people. It is an individual covenant. What that means is in a marriage, husband could, could, can be in covenant with God while wife is not. 
<clears throat> so what that also means is your parents may be in the covenant, but the children may, be, may, may not be. So it's not just, you know, for, 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 for a group of people. God is calling a people, but he's making covenant with individuals. The next thing to note from, from, from about the new covenant is that it's an internal, co- an internal covenant. It's a covenant written on the inside of your heart. Amen. So it's individual and it's internal. Okay, now let's look at Isaiah's perspective. When Isaiah looked at the, at the new covenant, he talked about the person that would make the covenant. Now, a lot of this gets, gets uh, uh, speak, spoken around um, Easter time, around Christmas time. And this is the two things that Isaiah, what he highlights for the new covenant in, in, in regards to the person bringing the covenant. And this has brought some, some um, confusion in the Jewish side of things because the Jews somehow expected two people to be Messiah. Not all of them. Some of them had this understanding that there may be two Messiahs because of the different pictures that Isaiah paints. We know and recognize that there's not two Messiahs. It's one Messiah coming twice. Okay, that's important. So this is what, what, what Isaiah says. In the first half of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the supreme sovereign, a ruler, a king, this mighty ruler that will come. He says the government will be on, on, on this ruler's shoulder. He says that this ruler would be the prince of peace. He would be the everlasting father. He would be a wonderful counselor. And he says, above all, he would be a conquering king. Now, this is the problem that when Jesus came, this is the problem that the Jews had with him. They didn't feel he was this, 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 um, you know, this conquering king because Jesus sort of came across as meek and mild a little bit. And what we must understand is, okay, let me, let me talk you through the, that's the first point. So that's a very strong picture of Messiah. Then on the second half of the book of, of Isaiah, we begin to see that Isaiah now talks as if he's talking about someone different. He changes his tune and talks about the suffering servant. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, you'll say he was wounded for our transgressions. Now this looks very different to the, to the conquering king. Right? The conquering king is like this ruler, the strong, mighty one. That, and this is why they were expecting Messiah to take them out of the rule of Rome. So now, Isaiah 53 says to us, He's wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So this is now the suffering servant, which sort of stands in contrast to the strong picture of the conquering king, this, this mighty ruler. And this is why there's some confusion. So that is why when Jesus came, they were looking to make him king. When Jesus was trying to tell them, hush, even when the demon said, we know who you are, Jesus said, be still. Why? Because Jesus knew they would have the wrong picture. They wanted him, you know, when he came to the point where they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, putting the palm branches, throwing down their coats. He was king and he was recognized as king, but he didn't come at that point in time to be sovereign ruler, to be, to be king, to be this mighty one. He will come back on his second coming. He's coming back to be ruler. But in his first coming, he came to be the suffering servant. That's why they couldn't understand it. You must understand that the cross was not the kind of thing you wanted to say, hey, my Messiah went to the cross. It, you know, today we sort of look at that as an enduring thing that Jesus came. He went to the cross for us. What you must understand is that when Jesus went to the cross, it was a demeaning thing. It was a disgraceful thing. It was something that it just wasn't, it just wasn't something you, you would want to boast about. So that is why it was hard for some people to recognize Jesus as Messiah because he didn't look like what Isaiah painted him to be or what he should have been. But he was what Isaiah painted him to be because he came as a suffering servant. But one day he's going to come as our supreme ruler. And the Bible says he will rule and reign. Amen. So now we must understand that dichotomy because it seems like Isaiah is a little bit confused. It seems like he's, he's talking about one thing, then he's talking about something else. Maybe you've missed this. But this is why some Jews struggle with the fact that Jesus was Messiah, especially in his day, because the cross was such a demeaning thing. It, it, how could a Messiah go to the cross? It did not make sense. Jesus said, I'm not coming to fight for a kingdom on the earth. I'm coming because my kingdom is from another world, from heaven. 
And that's why Jesus said, if my kingdom was from this world, my disciples would fight for me. I would just command the angels, summon them. And the next thing they would be there and fight for him. But he didn't come to fight for an earthly kingdom. He came to fight to establish a heavenly one that would infiltrate the earth. Amen. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So this is why you'll find, if you, if you come across where the Jews talk about two messiahs, now you know where it comes from. Let's look at Ezekiel's portion. We're still doing fine for time. In Ezekiel, what Ezekiel does is, <clears throat> he doesn't really, uh, uh, what he says and what he sees in the New Covenant, he doesn't say much about what it is. He doesn't say much about who establishes it. But what Ezekiel, Ezekiel comes to do is, he tells us how it is going to happen, how it is going to work. The first thing he says, he says that in the new coven, covenant, the human spirit will be made soft and tender and the heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. You will become a softer person, a more sensitive person. You know, if you, there's, there's a, a friend of mine, he's right here in Johannesburg and he does a prison ministry. Now, when he deals within the, with, with these prisoners, I'm telling you that if you listen to the, to the list of of, of, of Issues and, and the reason why some of these guys are in prison in the first place. Now, we're not talking about, we're talking about maximum security. You know, this is, this is hardened criminals. When, he, you, when you look at the list and the reason why these criminals are in prison, what you will find is that this list is long and this, these, these lists are like, okay, these people clearly, who are these guys? How could they have done those things? But then when you come into their, into, their, into their meetings, you'll begin to see that same guy with that long list of felonies, with that long list of stuff that got him in prison in the first place. And you meet him in the prison when he's in that meeting. You will recognize that only God could change that heart. Mm-hmm. So we had a hard heart, but God did something where you'll see that very guy that was a murderer, that very guy that was a rapist, that very guy that did things that we cannot even utter without cringing. That man is now on his knees crying before the Lord with a contrite spirit, a broken spirit. And that man now is different because this is what Ezekiel was telling us that the new covenant will bring. It's going to change the heart of stone. These hardened people will become sensitive, will become soft. So you see that God wasn't just going to give you tablets on the outside. He was going to change your heart. The second thing that Ezekiel tells us is that the other thing he's going to do is give the Holy Spirit to people. You see, under the old covenant, you see the Holy Spirit would come upon people. But now we see in the new covenant, God says, my spirit will now indwell you. It's not going to be like a Samson where you needed to come on you at a certain point because now you need to fight. The Holy Spirit is now not going to leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you. How is Jesus with you even till the end of the age? Through his spirit. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he said, I'm not going to leave you without a helper. I'm not going to leave you destitute and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the helper, the parakletos, the comforter. And because the Holy Spirit indwells you, he enables you. You see, the dunamis power that you have is not just dunamis power for miracles. It's dunamis power to do the will of God. It's dunamis power to keep you from sin. It's dunamis power to help you overcome temptation. Not just dunamis power to do miraculous things. That's also a part of it. But sometimes we look at that and magnify that and forget that the Holy Spirit is with me even to do things as simple as to convict me of sin. That's the kind of power he gives us, the power to overcome the very, the very uh, issue of be, not being able to stop biting your nails. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, hey, I'm going to help you overcome this. The very issue of just not being able to control your tongue or your temper. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to draw alongside you and I'm going to help you to overcome this. So the Holy Spirit now comes and gives me the power and gives me everything that I need for life and for godliness. So what was announced in the Old Testament, we see being achieved in the new. So Jesus was announced, even from Genesis 3.15, we see that uh, the father says to, to, to Adam and to the serpent, listen, I'm going to send one. You will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, speaking about the authority of the enemy. So God was already f- a, a promising that something is coming one day. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled that. What you must understand is that we cannot just focus on the cross. We have to focus on the cross, 
on the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension. Because many people, when they look at the new covenant, they only magnify Jesus in it. But Jesus, it doesn't start and end at the cross. It starts and ends at, at the ascension. Because it's at the ascension that we receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit could not be poured out before that point. Remember when Mary Magdalene touched Jesus, he said, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father and your Father. So Jesus knew he had to ascend so that he could, he could send the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit would quicken all of us to be able to live by this new standard. Now, there's a few key points I need to mention. So now you see how Jeremiah unveils, how Isaiah unveils, and how Ezekiel unveils what the new covenant would look like, what it would be like, who would bring it, and, and, and how um, this would work. The first key thing I want you to recognize is that you, you need two baptisms. The first baptism you need is the baptism in water. The second baptism you need is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John the baptizer said this. He said, I can baptize in you in water, but he will baptize you. There's one coming and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So we need to be baptized in water. That's obedience. And in the Holy Spirit, which is now the power given to enable you to fulfill the new covenant you cannot do the new covenant the way they did the old they could not upkeep they could not do what god intended they could not fulfill the 613 laws and commands that god gave them so we now god said listen i'm going to give you my spirit in order for you to know that my mind my heart and in order for you to fulfill what i've called you to to be and to do amen so my question is have you been baptized in the holy spirit you must understand that when you get born again, there's, there's four things that needs to happen. When you get born again, you need to uh, uh, repent towards God. You must, Lord, I'm sorry, and turn from your wicked ways. Turn. You know how, how, how mad John the Baptist was when the Pharisees came to get baptized by him? Yeah. You would think John the Baptist would be excited. You see, John the Baptist wasn't interested in numbers. He was interested in hearts being transformed. That's why John said when the Pharisees came, he said... Bear fruits worthy of repentance because he knew you can, you can get baptized, but if you don't bear the fruits worthy of it, then what is the use? So the first thing you need when you get born again is you need to repent. So that's repent towards God. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. The third thing you need to do is you need to get water baptized. If you were baptized as a baby, if there was no understanding, then get baptized again. Yeah. Because you need to get baptized when you have understanding of what you're doing. And then the fourth thing you need to do to get born again is that you need to receive the Holy Spirit. You can see the full trinity in operation. Repent towards the Father. Uh, believe in Jesus. That's your faith in operation. You need to get water baptized. That's obedience to what the Lord said we need to do. And then the final thing is you must. Be filled and flooded with the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. The new covenant is impossible again like the old was if you don't have God's Spirit because then you will not be able. You won't even know when you're doing wrong. Yeah. There's times when you do things, you just do it because that's the way you've always done it. I remember when the Holy Spirit, you know, started indwelling me. When I swore, I couldn't swear again. Even when I used to watch movies with swearing, it used to, I used to feel it on the inside. And then I knew, hey, I can't do this. So what happened was the Holy Spirit trained me because now he was telling me what, he was, what the Lord was, has written on the tablets of my heart. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Understand salvation. Understand how you get born again. And know that you need the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. Okay. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, Don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery or dissipation, depending on which uh, translation you're reading. But be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means a continuous filling. You get baptized with the Spirit once, but you always get filled. There's a continual filling. We see that in, in the book of Acts 2, they got filled in the upper room. We see in Acts 13.52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit in Acts 13 verse 52. So the second point I want you to understand around the keys of the new covenant, that Jesus didn't do away with the law. He only did away with the Mosaic law. This is very important because so many people get confused because in the New Testament, you see that the, old, the law is gone. Then you see that Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law. Now we'll all pull our hair out and ask the question, what is going on here? Is there a law? Is there no law? And this is where the confusion comes from. What you must understand is we are no longer under the Mosaic law, but that doesn't mean that we have no law. Okay, so the Mosaic, Mosaic Covenant had 613 laws and commandments. 
Under the new covenant, if you actually begin to look at all Jesus' commands, you'll find 1,100 imperative commands from Christ. So Jesus did away with the Mosaic law, but even for some of the Mosaic laws still carried through and he made it even more uh, deliberate. Now he says, listen, you know, under the Mosaic law, it was easy. If you, if you read uh, the Ten Commandments, it's easy. Don't commit adultery. That's easy. It's hard when Jesus says, don't even look at a woman with lust for her because then you've already committed adultery. So Jesus didn't only take the Mosaic law and leave it at that. He said, yes, you don't, you're no longer under the law, yeah. but now I'm going to give you my law and I'm going to write it on the tablets of your heart. So now we, we see that Jesus even takes it further and he says, listen, don't even look at a woman with lust for her because then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Mm. The Mosaic law said, do not murder. Under Jesus' law, he says, listen, not only do you not murder, but even if you hate your brother, even if you call somebody idiot or stupid, guess what? You know, you, you know, you're killing them. Amen. So under the new covenant, if you begin to go through the New Testament, you begin to see that Jesus gave commands. Now, there's a heresy called anton antinomianism. And what that means is anti against and nomos meaning law. So against law. So what they believe is that God took away all the law and we now just live by the spirit. That's not the case. Remember, Jesus started giving. He says, if you love me, obey my what? commands so jesus gave commandments he gave laws he gave instruction to us that he expects us to follow so if somebody says hey man listen i don't want to get water baptized then guess what you're not following the instruction you're not following jesus command so there are commands that he's given us yeah. amen? amen okay so romans 7 4 says so my brothers and sisters you also died to the law through the body of christ so jesus died the only way you would be free from the mosaic law being under the mosaic law is through death but jesus died through for that to 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 be dead to that law and then it says you also died to, to the law through the body of jesus so now Jesus is dead to the law of, of, of Moses and we are dead to the law of Moses that you might belong to another, to him who has raised you from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. The old covenant, you know, it became a hindrance. The law wasn't bad, but the people could not fulfill the law and it became a hindrance to them. Under the new covenant, we are dead to that way. And now God empowers us in order to fulfill the instructions that he's given us. So 1,100 laws may f or, or commandments from Jesus may sound like much, but when you've got the spirit indwelling you, you are able. Yeah. Mm. Amen. So Jesus even made it stricter because he's saying now, listen, I'm not just expecting you to do this on your own. Let me send you the helper. Now you realize why you actually need Holy Spirit. Yeah. You need him because you need him to be able to walk. Uh, you see, we're not on the broad road. We're on the narrow road and it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not saying these things are going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it in the end. What you must understand around the Ten Commandments, because some of these questions come up. The Ten Commandments, Jesus reaffirmed all nine, but he never reaffirmed the Sabbath. Romans 14 verse 5 to 8 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So some people may say, I carry more weight for the Sabbath. Somebody else say, I'm free from that. Verse 6 says in Romans 14, it says, Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So if somebody says, listen, my Sabbath day is special. You know what? They're doing that to the Lord. You don't have to go and put any, any uh, uh, of your burden upon them. Even the same way, whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord as well and gives thanks to God also. For none of us lives our lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's so important to understand that. So out of the Ten Commandments, Jesus reiterated all of them except the Sabbath. Colossians 2.16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. That's in Colossians 2.16. You see, those things have become less important. That's why we don't have to celebrate the feasts. We don't have to celebrate the new moon festivals. We don't have to celebrate a, a certain special days because guess what? We've been freed from the Mosaic Covenant. We've been freed from that. In all honesty, for, for most of us, we're not even Jews. 
<laughs> so that just helps you re- with regards to that. So Jesus said, <clears throat> he said this in Matthew 28 in, in the commission. There's two commissions, one in Mark, one in Matthew. In Matthew, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Do you see how important it is for us to recognize that Jesus has given us commands and he expects us to fulfill it. And one of the most basic commands that he's given us is to say, hey, be baptized. So the moment you get baptized, it's a start in the journey. The moment you repent toward God, it's a start in the journey. The moment you get filled with the Spirit, it's a start in the journey. And now you're moving forward in God and you're saying, listen, I'm a part of a new covenant with better promises. And that's why we have communion. You see what happened with Adam in the garden. The first thing that was destroyed was his communion with God. Adam was no longer in God's presence. So what happened was Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam had relationship with God. Adam talked to God. When he sinned, that was severed. He was removed from the garden and he was removed from God's presence. So the reason why even when Jesus instituted a a communion, when he instituted the Last Supper, you know what he did? He brought what Adam broke in the garden. He restored. So now we come together to God in the new covenant. We come back into communion with God. We come back into the presence of God. We come back and the Holy Spirit of God now indwells us. So for me, I feel like what we have now is better than what Adam had. It's better than what Moses and the children of Israel had. What we have now is the new covenant, a better covenant with better promises, with a better high priest called Jesus Christ. He's in a better order, the order of Melchizedek. Everything has been made better for us. We have everything that it takes for victory. You know, after doing all that you can to stand, stand. You know, God is not going to leave you destitute. Everything that the Lord is asking you to change from, to run away from. When he says to you, I don't want you to go that way. I don't want you to have those friends. I don't want you to do that any longer. Know that he's also empowering you and giving you the ability to do what he's asked of you to do. Don't think it's impossible. That's why there's there's nothing impossible for you because there's nothing impossible possible for God. And guess what? He's living on the inside of you through his spirit. So I want to encourage you with that. The new covenant is exciting. It's awesome. God has called us to be a part of this. And once you begin to look at that again in Ezekiel, once you look at that again in Isaiah, once you look at that again in Jeremiah, I want you to begin to realize and recognize that you are part of something so much bigger, so much greater. Sometimes we don't even have, we don't understand the magnitude of what God has given us. But I hope that after tonight, this just gives you at at least that, that tip of the iceberg that God is saying, hey, this is what I've called you for. And this is what I've called you to be. Now you begin to live out of that place in the new covenant. Amen. Amen.